All right, Revelation chapter 13. So last week we started studying um, the Antichrist, the first beast, and tonight we're going to continue that study as we look at the second beast because remember that anything that God has, Satan tries to counterfeit. And really he has his pseudo-trinity. So we've looked at the dragon, we've looked at that first beast uh, rising from the sea, and now we'll look at the one that, you know, from, from, the, um, from the earth tonight, so, which is the false prophet. Um, oh, there's so much I was going to talk about, but my mind, is, my mind is gone. I think I was thinking about all the people that aren't here. Anyway, uh, Revelation 13. Let me just start reading verse number 11. I'm going to read through these verses. We're going to be 11 through 18 tonight, and then we'll just kind of jump into it. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake... As a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them, that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. All I can think of when I read this passage is the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made, uh, kind of in his likeness or whatever, that he had the nation and all those around bow down to, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image. Again, the power that he has has been given to him by God, and everything that has, that everyone that has power. All power, all power has been given to him from God. And everything that we've seen so far in this study, the God allows certain things to happen. Uh, so he gives power uh, to, to give life into the image of the beast. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. That's a very interesting thing. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand. Now, I know this is why you came tonight, you know, the mark of the beast. Uh, the 666, or whatever you want to say here, to receive the mark of the beast, verse number 16, in their right hand or in their forehead. Some people didn't know that it could be one or either. It's not just in your forehead. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is... 600, three score, and six, which is what? 666, or 666. That's where we get that from. All right. Uh, In your notes tonight, I have a little comparison chart for you, and it kind of really, kind of a synopsis of the first beast, which is the Antichrist, and the second beast, which is the false prophet. The first beast, I'll just kind of go through these in order, then kind of quickly the other ones. The first beast rises from the sea. He has seven heads with blasphemous names on them that we referenced last week. He has ten horns with crowns. He has authority that has been given to him by the dragon. The whole earth worships the dragon because of the beast or because of the Antichrist. He speaks blasphemies against God for 42 months or really the space of about three and a half years. He also makes war with the saints, those that are saved, the Christians, for a time, overcomes them. So really, if you stop right here, Revelation 13, 7, it seems like he is going to be victorious. But by the time we get to the end of chapter 13 and head into 14, we quickly see that he is anything but victorious. But then the second beast, what we see is that 
kind of the comparison chart here. He rises from the earth. He has one head, two horns, like a lamb. Again, kind of referencing, you know, the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ. He exercises authority of the first beast. Uh, He causes people to worship the first beast or the Antichrist. He performs amazing signs to deceive the whole world into worshiping the beast image. He forces the world to then receive the mark of the beast or suffer severe persecution. And it's just, it's, it's pretty insane the things that are going to transpire. And as I was, you know, finishing up today, which I had already finished up last week, but then kind of reading ahead and studying ahead a little bit, you know, these next four, five, six chapters are just, I mean, jam-packed with stuff. So just stay tuned. You know, next week we kind of continue. We look at, you know, the redeemed of the Lamb. And, you know, the, there's a part in there, kind of the, the grapes of wrath and, you know, the wine press. And it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing sight when you think about it. And I don't think it's until about chapter 16 that we actually get back to the judgments. So all of this is kind of a parenthesis, a pause that John is giving us to help us kind of understand. Again, not everything that is written is chronological order. It's kind of a artistic form and kind of in nature. So, you know, kind of jumping around, so to speak. But when we get back to 16, really, that's when the end is very, very, very near. And we see the vile judgments or the bold judgments. But tonight I want to give you very quickly tonight, which when I say quickly, I mean an hour and a half. Tonight we're going to see seven defining characteristics of the Antichrist minister of propaganda. And his minister of propaganda is his false prophet. So the first thing that we see tonight, and all of these talk about the false prophet. The the false prophet, first and foremost, will be a deceiver. He will be a deceiver. Verse number 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. So gives the picture, really, of, of Christ. And he spake as a dragon. So the first beast is said, though, uh, to understand the context here and what we're going to look at in the next couple of verses. The first beast is said to have a mortal wound that has been healed miraculously. As if the beast has died and come back to life. And really, it's an imitation of who? Jesus and his death on the cross and coming back to life. But again, whether or not he truly comes back to life, what we have to understand is that he, Satan the dragon, is a deceiver. What is portrayed isn't always what is fact. And we do have to understand that. And there's a lot of speculation whether this you know, this, it was an actual mortal, you know, fatal wound and he actually did come back to life or it's just, you know, giving the perception that he's coming back to life. And again, with our modern advances of technology, I think it's easy to kind of see that people can deceive you very easily, right? Even like go to certain, you know, shows or magicians and like, oh wow, how do they do that? Well, you kind of draw back the curtain and you can understand some things. But as it says, he had two horns like a lamb. Again, there are 29 times in the book of Revelation where lamb or a lamb is mentioned. And 28 of those times, it's in reference to Christ. The only one time it's not is right here. When it's not a reference to Christ, it's a reference uh, to this, this uh, second beast. So it's, it's interesting. A lamb typically only has two small bumps on his head. This describes the relative weakness compared to the beast. This also suggests that he has authority, but the absence of a crown indicates his authority will not be political because the Antichrist had a crown on his head, giving the picture that he was going to rule over the nations. So again, what we see here and what we need to understand in verse number 11 is that 
He is a deceiver, and looks can be deceiving. We continue on in verse number 11. He spake as a dragon. So the second thing we see is this. The false prophet will speak the words of Satan. He will be his mouth, his mouthpiece, his megaphone, so to speak. Uh, like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. You know, those two don't coincide. They don't, they don't really match up. He's going to have the character of a lamb in that he'll be, he'll, he'll be gentle, he'll be attractive, but he is going to deceive and be Satan's instrument of deception. You know, you think about it. This is going to be the most ravenous wolf of all time. The Bible talks about, I think it's in Matthew, about, you know, beware of wolf, the wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, this is the, the epitome of all of that. Uh, really, again, he's nothing less than Satan's mouthpiece, Satan's megaphone. The third characteristic that we see, and some of these we're going to kind of run through quickly, and then I've got some other commentaries I want to read to kind of tie it all in together. The third thing we see is this. The false prophet will then promote false worship of Antichrist. The false prophet will promote false worship of Antichrist. Verse number 12, And he exerciseth all power of the first beast, before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And again, in this somehow miraculous fashion. There are two affirmations here. First of all, he exercises all authority of the first beast, and he compels the earth and all that live to worship this beast. He is going to be empowered by the Antichrist, and he'll have a worldwide influence in Everyone that he sees and everyone that sees him will be forced to bow down to him unless they have the mark or the seal of God upon them. Now, I want to read some things because it it ties it in. I know we're kind of going quick, but we're going to slow down here in just a second. Jewish leaders asked Jesus when he was on the earth to perform signs, to perform wonders, but he most often refused. During this time, the false prophet will perform signs, wonders, but they will be deceptive signs, and all of it will direct people towards not Christ worship, Jesus worship, but devil worship. And it, it, I, all, all I can think of, you know, paints the picture uh, the early church that suffered through emperor worship. I mean, they understood what John was talking about when they had to fall down and bow down themselves to whoever was in charge of that that nation or the, the, the region, uh, the emperor over them. But what we see here is that his greatest sign is going to be what's called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. So I want you to turn just a couple passages of scripture. We're just going to reference it quickly and kind of quickly talk about it. But Daniel chapter 9, I think we mentioned this last week. Daniel chapter 9. It's right after Ezekiel in your Bible, or you can just wait and see if they get it up on the screen. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 27. Sorry. Daniel chapter 9, verse number 27. All right, let me start in verse number 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. It's talking about Jerusalem. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall uh, be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall 
Time is up? Is that what that means? Yeah, I feel like I just started. Um, <laughs> they're like, all right, pastor's got until 717. Good luck. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, never mind. Uh, the street shall be built up again, the wall, even in troublous times. Verse 26, and after three score in two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince. Thou shalt come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and the end of the war of desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many. Now, we're not going to just dive so deep into this, but then we'll reference some other passages in just a second. He shall confirm... Someone is at our door. Hang on, let me turn my phone off. Sorry. We're getting all kinds of distractions tonight. There we go. Someone is at Eagle Drive door. There you go. Uh, where am I at? Uh, we're all over the place tonight. Uh, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. It's another reference where Jesus talks to his disciples about what is to come. Matthew chapter 24 uh, will be around verse 15. Matthew 24. All right, there it is. All right, I'm going to start in verse number 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto nations, and then shall the end come. And then verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So what Jesus is referring to is the book of Revelation. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountain. So, you know, the end is coming and it's going to get bad. Uh, Then quickly, let's go to one more passage and then we'll kind of talk briefly about it. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 4. Whoso opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So all of these passages are referring to or referencing this abomination of desolation. Here's what it is. Let me read. This is when the image of the beast is set up in the temple of Jerusalem. The temple then will either be rebuilt during the first three and a half years or just prior to the tribulation. Now, the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed, has not been rebuilt. And in fact, what sits at the current site, anybody know what sits at the current site of where the temple there, the holy temple in Jerusalem used to sit? Anybody know? What? Yes, the Dome of the Rock. So the Muslims have hold control of that area where the temple used to sit, the Temple Mount. But the temple will be rebuilt. So think about all the things that need to happen for you know, that to happen and that to occur. Uh, so again, the temple is either going to be rebuilt during the first three and a half years or just prior to the tribulation. Now, to understand this abomination of desolation a little bit more, idolatry is bad, it's blasphemous. But this guy, this false prophet, is going to set up an image or an idol inside the temple of God. In Jerusalem. So since Satan can't worship or can't get people to worship him in heaven, he does the next best thing to him. He sets up his place of worship inside the Jewish temple. 
I mean, talk about blasphemous right there. And this is the establishment, really, of a false religion on a worldwide scale. You know, it, it's, it's confounded me in the past how something like this could happen. How could all of the world just be drawn to one individual and all of the religions of the world? You know, it's very easy to point out one religion or a couple of religions and, okay, yeah, everyone's going to believe that. But I think we're already seeing signs today in the culture we live in that religions are trying to come together to unify, but in their unification, they are dismissing doctrines. They're dismissing key aspects of God's Word, saying that, you know what, these things don't really matter. What we need to do is come together. And they present and promote a picture of peace, of unity, when in reality, they're deceiving people. They're deceiving people that come to their churches, members that have joined the churches, because a lot of those churches, honestly, are not preaching true messages of the gospel. They're not preaching that salvation is, is by uh, faith alone and grace alone, uh, in Christ alone. They're not preaching those things. They're preaching other things. You know, they're really about tolerance and acceptance of, of sin, of the world, when the Bible is clearly against certain things like that. You know, Mike and I have had this conversation the past couple days, that it's, it's amazing that there are a lot of even Christians today that are so accepting of sin even when the Bible is so clearly against certain sin. And yet, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Because we have been led to believe the lies of culture and of the world around us. So again, it's going to magnify on a much grander and greater scale. Now let me, let me read you an article uh, that I came across. Let me, let me pull it up here really quickly. Um, in an article titled, UN, talking about the United Nations, the UN Faithful Eye Global Religion, James Harder writes this. He said, The Secretary General of the United Nations Millennium Peace Summit thinks that all religious apples fall from the same tree and are equally delicious. <laughs> it's a great statement right there, right? At a recent international meeting, this is probably five or six years ago, he told a thousand delegates that religions need to accept the validity of all religions or else it will be difficult to attain world peace. So what he's saying is, you know, just accept everyone else. Accept Muslims and jihadists and terrorists. Accept Jehovah Witnesses. Accept all those things as one. That's the only way we're going to have world peace. Now recently, the notion has emerged, the writer continued, that the pathway to peace necessitates the unification of religions. The Universal Religion Initiative, or the URI, recently convened with 300 people pre, uh, present representing 39 religions and signed a charter. I wasn't invited. But anyway, which officially launched the movement. The goal is that there will come a day in which religious people will no longer insist on a single truth. That's pretty astounding. He continues, he's almost done, but he says, Episcopal Bishop Swing, a leader in the movement, goes even further. He says, there will have to be a godly ceasefire, a temporary truce where the absolute exclusive claims of each religion will be honored, but an agreed-upon neutrality will be exercised in terms of proselytizing, thank you, condemning, murdering, and dominating. These will not be tolerated in the United Religions Zone. 
Like, if that doesn't shock you, I don't know what, what does. And, and you think about it, that, that's what our world is, is going towards. And again, you know, I'm not saying that the United Nations is the league with the Antichrist, but here, here's, here's what we do understand. That the impulse to unify the world into a single religion is already alive today. It's already there. It's not like, oh, some of these things are so far into the future. No, it's, it's already there. Let me, let me pull up something else quickly if I can. So I, I was sent, um, let me see if I can find it. Just stay with me. Got to go through, got to go through many text messages and GIFs. It's here. There it is. So I was sent something from uh, a friend here recently, and it was from a United Methodist Church lesbian bishop, Dr. Karen Olivito. She says this, just astounded me. If Jesus can change, if he can give up his bigotries and prejudices, if he can realize that he had made his life too small, and if in this realization he grew closer to others and closer to God, then so can we. Talk about blasphemous. Pretty sure Jesus didn't come and, oh, I'm going to give up my bigotries and prejudices. But this is the kind of trash that religions are teaching people. And again, this, this is the kind of trash that is being indoctrinated in our kids and schools. And, you know, I've had several, several people in the past couple of days, you know, ask me about that post on Facebook that the guy talked about with the, the mask and uh, the, the Gog and Magog reference. And, you know, we'll get to that a little bit in Revelation chapter 20. Um, but I'm not going into that, but it's just... It, the, the thing that stands out most to me, and I, I told this to a couple people, is the fact that those of us that have parents, or those of us that have parents, those of us that have kids, we all have parents. <laughs> those of us that have kids, we have to do even a much better job of teaching them the truth. Because they're not going to hear it in their schools. Hopefully if they go to a Christian school, they'll hear it. But they're not going to hear it in their schools. They're not going to hear it in the world. They're not going to hear it with their friends. Because... What they're going to hear is the truth from culture, the truth from media, the truth the, their textbooks are saying that, hey, this is truth. When in reality, when you study it, it's complete contradiction to this. So what is truth? Oh, it's just relative. It's not that big of a deal. You know, everyone have truth. Well, I'm pretty sure that John 14 says, Jesus said, I am, anybody know that verse? I am the way, yeah the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. So, you know, this United League of Nations or religions, they're saying, you know what, let's, it's not about, it's not about, you know, proselytizing or condemning or murdering or dominating. It's not about, you know, this is the single truth. Let's just accept all truths. No, that, that's wrong. And that's where, that's where our nation is going. We've seen that for the past many years. And really, that's what's going to happen on a much magnified, more grander scale here in Revelation, and we very well may be living in the end days. I don't know. It's definitely closer than when Christ left. But the reality is that we have to know God's Word, and we have to teach God's Word to those who we are in charge of, <laughs> to those who God has entrusted us with as stewards. And again, it's just it's amazing, it's astounding that the false prophet is going to just deceive everyone. People are going to be deceived. And, and, I, and I think about it even today, whether it be on the political scene or even the religious scene, I listen to things sometimes and, and you hear someone talk and, and they're talking and you're like, man, 
that sounds good. Anybody ever, you know, you listen to someone like, man, that sounds good. And then wait, like, wait, that's completely not even right. What they're saying is like, it's a bunch of lies, but you were so enamored by their charismatic nature and, and their command of words that, wow, I, I think they're right. And in reality, they're leading people astray, and that's what's going to happen here during the end times. Let's continue on. Next thing, the false prophet will use miracles then to deceive the world. Verse number 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. Kind of sound similar to something that God did. Maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Hey, look, look what I can do. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. So we've got to construct an image to our leader, you know, the Antichrist, which had the wound of a sword and did live. This false prophet will be given power to perform miracles and even duplicate miracles of the two witnesses. And really, it's kind of reminiscent to me of when Moses stood before Pharaoh. And and. For the most part, everything Moses did, his magicians did the same thing. Now, obviously there was something that they couldn't do. Anybody know that story? What couldn't they do? It was the plagues, but there was something specifically Moses did. Michael? Yeah, the the vice versa, throwing it down, turning into a snake, and then picking it up, and then all of a sudden it was a staff. So again, there... There's a lot of things that they could do, but there are certain things they couldn't because only God gave, them that, gave Moses the authority. So again, he's going to manipulate the world. And this false prophet is going to construct an image of the beast similar to the image Nebuchadnezzar constructed and will demand for it to be worshipped. He will give life to the image and force all to worship it. Talk about manipulation. Chuck Swindoll says this, Blinded by unbelief and sin the world will easily fall prey to the second beast's deceptive message and methods. Intellectually attracted to him, emotionally drawn by his appealing style, and convinced by his amazing signs, they will voluntarily submit and obey. Obviously, this guy is the Messiah. I mean, that's, that's really what it's going to be. He is finally the Messiah that has come, and they're going to believe it. Continue on, a few more. The false prophet will then persecute those who follow the Lamb. You know, we're already seeing signs of this today. I'm not saying we're in the tribulation. But we're already seeing signs of this today, aren't we? When we have in America the extreme, extreme left, they preach a message of tolerance, and yet anyone that goes against them, let's condemn them, right? So how is that? Let's, let's, let's be accepting and let's tolerate everyone else. But if you go against me, I'm not going to tolerate you hypocritical? I mean, seriously. And yet that's, that's what we, that's the world we live in. And, and that's what's going to happen here. That, hey, you worship us, you worship the false prophet, man, everything's going to be good. But you don't worship us, you don't worship the false prophet, you go against us, we're going to persecute you. Again, it's eerily similar of what's happening today. We're not in the tribulation, but it's leading to that. Verse 15 is really a mixed bag of interpretation. The first part is extremely difficult uh, to find the meaning. Let me read it, and then I'll, I'll reference it. And he, he had power to give life into the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So it's kind of 
almost difficult to understand. The false prophet is then allowed by God to give a spirit or breathe life into this image, this idol of the Antichrist. The image is even said to speak, the miraculous and mysterious merge. Some believe this is trickery that uses ventriloquism, like we tried tonight. Thank you guys for that. Appreciate it. Uh, To make it seem like the image came to life. Others believe that through satanic and demonic enablement, the statue will come to life and speak. Alan Johnson says, he said, he, he makes a sound observation when he says this. In speaking about giving breath to the image, John implies the activity of the false prophet in reviving idolatrous worship again, giving in the appearance of vitality, reality, and power. Curiously, the two witnesses were also said to receive breath, but the breath that they received was from from God. Now again, idols normally cannot hear, cannot speak, cannot walk, cannot see. They also do not murder, do they? An idol is a statue, it's an inanimate object. But during this time, verse number 15, those that don't worship the image should be killed. And he causeth all, both small, great, rich, and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand and in their foreheads. And what we see next is this. The false prophet will mark those who worship Antichrist. He will mark those who worship Antichrist. You know, in referencing the previous verse, you think the Holocaust was bad when Hitler and Nazi Germany tried to wipe out all the Jews. Honestly, that's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what's going to happen here. And what we see here is this, finally, we get to this infamous mark of the beast. And without this mark, you cannot buy, you cannot sell. This is yet another counterfeit of the mark or seal that we've already referenced that came from God in Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Also in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Just look there quickly. It's right over the next page probably. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the mount. This is, this is God. The mount, mount Zion or Mount Zion. And with him in 144,000, 144,000 we've already referenced, having his father's name written in their forehead. So God has already given a mark. And now Satan, the dragon, the Antichrist are going to give another mark because again, everything God does, they have to counterfeit. Considering the mark and talking about the mark quickly, a couple preachers want to reference what they say. John MacArthur says this, the mark will consist either of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Antichrist will have a universal designation. His name within a number system. The exact identification of that phrase is unclear. What is clear is that everyone will be required to have this identifying mark or suffer the consequences. David Platt says, mark it down. There will always be a price to pay for believers who do not worship idols in this world. Life will not be easy in the world when you fight idolatry of this world, plain and simple. And again, what we know for sure from this passage, verse 16, look at it. And he causeth all, both small, great, rich, and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Here's the reality. No one will take this mark unknowingly. And John's, what John says is that, again, it's in the right hand or in the forehead. So think about how this is going to happen. And, and I'm sure in John's day, like, how, how is that even possible? I think we can even see it today whether it be a microchip or something else, right? I think we're definitely even trending in that direction as well. 
But let's continue on. Verse number 17, that no man might buy and might sell, save he that had the mark of the beast, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Again, <laughs> all right, I'm not going to go there. Um, verse number 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 603 score and 6, so 666. Last thing we see is this, the false prophet will lead the world to worship a mere man. And that's the interesting thing. He is not some magnificent creature. He is not the creator. He is not God's son. He has not been in heaven his whole life. He is a mere man, a mere individual. Because the number that is associated with him is the number of man, 666. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God. Again, he can't be like God, so he goes one less. You know, in recent years, we have seen a worldwide increase of the use of numbers for identification. In the United States, a person's social security number is indispensable. In fact, numbers sometimes are more important than than names. And perhaps this is an advanced warning of what will happen on earth when the beast is in control. And I've heard it said that more paper, more ink, more worry have been wasted on this one verse than perhaps any verse in the Bible. Again, what we do know is that six is the number of man. And Warren Wearsby notes, he said, despite all of man's imaginative calculations, we must confess that no one knows the meaning of this one number or name. No doubt believers on earth at that time will understand it clearly. The satanic trinity cannot lie claim to the number seven, so it settles on 666. And again, this false prophet, what we see is that he is a completeness of sinful incompleteness. He is good enough to deceive millions, but nowhere close enough to displace Christ. And that's where Christians have to understand. He's going to deceive millions upon millions upon millions, but he cannot displace Jesus Christ. And many people put their trust in different things, government, money, politics, uh, economy, religion, whatever it is. But all of these things cannot fulfill your expectations. None of these things are the answer. The only thing that is the answer is Jesus Christ, our trust in him, our hope in the gospel. And tragically, the world would rather align themselves with a lie than with the truth. And again, it, all it says to me and all it speaks to me is the fact that we have to do a better job of proclaiming the truth, of showing the world, of showing our children, of showing our families, of showing those that are close with us what the truth of God's Word is, because that is what we are judged by, not the standard of the world. I know that's what they say. We're judged by their truth, but we are only judged by God's truth. And that's why it's important. That's why I preach you know, and teach and, 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 and get passionate at times because I want us to understand what, what truth is. And I want us to understand the truth so much that when we see something counterfeit, we can easily detect and say, that's not right. That's false. And sadly, sadly, oh, it frustrates me so much as a pastor. There are so many Christians that don't know truth. Don't know it. Because they haven't spent enough time in the truth. They haven't spent enough time in God's Word. They haven't spent enough time in church. They haven't spent enough time being discipled and and listening. Or or they've heard it and it goes in one ear and out the other. You know, America is really, we are trending towards a 
post-God nation. Post-Christian nation. You know, we were founded on the principles of God His Word, but we are trending in the direction against God. Everything against God. And again, I, I'm warning kids, I'm warning teens, I'm warning parents that are here, grandparents that are here tonight. Be careful what you allow your kids to do and what you, what you allow your kids to watch and who you even allow your kids to hang out with. Honestly. As a parent, as a grandparent, it's our job to, to protect them, to guide them, to nurture them. And yeah, I'm sure they're going to be mad and upset at times when we're not allowed, they're not allowed to do certain things because I know I was with my parents, but I look back and I've even told them, you know, thank you for watching out for me and, and trying to protect me and, and trying to help me see the truth and understand the truth. But what we need to understand is that there has been a system of Antichrist that has been around since the fall of man. But don't fall into the deception. Jesus is coming back, and until that day, we must remain faithful. We must remain faithful to His Word, faithful to what God has already told us to do. Again, I think of, oh, what's the verse? You know, so many of us are like this, and, and look, I, I struggle with this as well. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Many of us know what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. We know certain things are sin, we know certain things are okay, and yet we deceive ourselves into believing, I know it's sin, I know pastor preaches on that, whatever, it's not that big a deal. Don't be not deceived. God is not mocked. God isn't mocked. He, he knows what we're doing. He, he knows the sins that we commit. And, and I just encourage you to remain faithful. And the key truth that we close with is this. You know, Satan sends a false prophet to deceive, to coerce worship for himself. But at best, all he can do is imitate the glory of the true Savior, Jesus Christ. His message is of deception of coercion, of forcing people to bow down. But again, if you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever studied God's Word or even been in church, is there ever been a time when God had to force people to bow down to Him in worship? No. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to make people worship Jesus. Did that happen? No. Because people saw that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the truth. So think about it. They are forced to worship, and they're, I mean, they're going to do it blindly and willingly. And yet, here we are as Christians. We know the truth, and sometimes people won't even worship the one that is true. Why? Oh, there's so much more I want to talk about, but again, just leave it with this. Just remain faithful. Remain faithful to Jesus and His cause. Next week, we're going to dive deeper in. Honestly, the next four or five chapters are, I mean, just so packed with, with so much, so much detail. Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 14 next week. Uh, I'm really mostly done with that lesson again, trying to kind of stay a week ahead if I can, but so much in there. And then we get to the, the latter part of chapter 14, and it really it's just an amazing scenery and imagery that we see here. So stay tuned for that. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed tonight.